Welcome to Investor Insights, the wealth management podcast where we address investor needs, help you enhance your financial situation, and explore all parts of a person's financial life. And now, the host of Investor Insights, Mike Williams. Hello and welcome again to Investor Insights, our podcast. This is Mike Williams of Genesis. I'm sure glad you can spend some time with us again today. Listen, we're going to call this episode, What's Next?, And we're going to think about it from a much broader perspective than the last few weeks of market action, which always historically causes investors to get far too emotional. So before I get going, let's step back and understand the basic theme of wealth. First of all, I'm going to do a couple of quotes from really brilliant investors over time. And and these are timely thoughts from guys who really created a ton of wealth. Here's one from Peter Lynch. You get recessions, you have stock market declines. If you don't understand that's going to happen, then you're not ready. You won't do well in the markets. What I would add to that is you haven't planned. If you have planned your financial structure, you will not fear the normal corrective action in a market because you will have your goals set out over time, and your assets will be addressing those goals and invested as such. Another I like is from Seth Klarman, big, very successful hedge fund guy. The stock market is a story of cycles and of human behavior that is responsible for overreactions in both directions. This is from Warren Buffett. Look at market fluctuations as your friend rather than your enemy. Profit from folly rather than participate in it. Next one here is from Ben Graham. In the old legend, the wise men finally boiled down the history of mortal affairs into a single phrase. This too shall pass. And I like this one from Charlie Munger. Time is the individual investor's last remaining edge on professionals. If you can think about the next five years, while most are far too focused on the next five months or five weeks, you have an advantage over everyone who tries to outperform based on sheer intellect. Here's another one from Joel Greenblatt. If your goal is to beat the market, an MBA or a PhD from a top business school will be of virtually no help. This presentation and episode is really going to focus us all on the benefits derived from patience, discipline, and the ability to understand the predictability of crowds. And the one simple but very difficult to act upon fact about markets, real wealth, real wealth that accumulates over time more often than not is derived from understanding this thesis. It is never about what's now. It's almost always about what's next. Understanding this and focusing instead on secular waves of change, which are now dead ahead, helps one to break away from the crowd. It helps one to understand what others only begin to see. It helps one miss tech bubbles housing bubbles, 
commodity bubbles, and oil bubbles, all of which we did for clients. You see, markets are people. It's easy to think that markets are something separate. They're some standalone, movable, physical thing. That would be wrong. The function of a market is to provide a basis of exchange, a platform, if you will, to act upon events, data flow, and information which captures our attention. In essence, markets are the result of electrical impulses throttling through our brains at speeds we never recognize until our actions or reactions provide feedback. Feedback, you might be wondering? Well, please take a few minutes with me and let's step back in time to drive home some valuable lessons for today. The public has a decades-long record of being a very poor predictor of the future. Let's understand that more clearly. In the early 80s, the public was certain, and I'm quoting here, our best days are already behind us, unquote. On October 20, 1987, the day after the markets crashed 22%, the crowd was certain the future was dark. In the early 90s, as real estate collapsed and banks and SNLs closed by the hundreds, the public was sure investing in the future was a really bad idea. In the mid-90s, the public was confident another recession was already at hand just before the market decided differently, and it rose instead for five straight years. But, and this is the key, in 1999, that same crowd was sure that tech stocks grew to the sky and went all in and then some. Over the next three years, their dreams were once again dashed against the rocks as the tech bubble collapsed. The sure bet of the crowd at the time failed them. But as tech failed and prices swooned, the commodity charge, which back in 1998 in Barron's, we stated one should instead focus upon, well, it stormed forward. Oil, copper, housing, the very same things we're afraid of today, all hated and pushed aside while tech was a sure thing back then did not lose money, even as markets swooned. Instead, they were on a different path, but predictable track, upward. They were becoming the next favorite thing. By 2006, those very same housing stocks had replaced tech stocks from years before as the next sure thing. And the crowds? acted predictably again. We know the results of that now as the 2008 and 2009 financial collapse taught us all. The key? Markets are people. Short-term events are unpredictable. But stepping back far enough and viewing the mass crowd movement, the secular waves of change, do indeed form a basis of predictability. Not as, as a sense of knowing the exact outcome or the exact day, but as too many search for the Holy Grail. Instead, the predictability I speak of is more a sense of placing the odds of change that are more on your side as to the likely outcome of the then-current 
mass expectations. Think tech in 1999. Think housing in 2006 and 2007. Think commodities, oil, China in 2014. All were loved at the time. The certainty of the crowd was so thick you could cut it with a knife. Predictable events were set. Odds were set to change. And outcomes were far different than the crowd assumed at the time. Listen, over 33 years of this, I've learned to listen to the crowd. When times become certain, when things become obvious, when the experts are in sync, when media is selling hard, when the easy thing to do is certain, that period often represents the key windows in time to remember. It's never about what's now. And it is almost always about what's next. Today we're being suffocated with fear, angst, and what I like to call the certainty of doom. It's obvious, isn't it? Clearly, we are being overwhelmed with problems, likely unfixable as the crowd definitely feels, and certainly unsurmountable as the experts chime in. It's certain the future is dark again, just like it was in 1982 just like it was on October 20, 1987, or in the early 90s as real estate collapsed, or the mid-90s as we were certain of another recession, or in 2003 after the tech bubble was in shambles, or 2008 and 2009 as the real estate crisis kicked off a debt crisis, and miraculously, strangely enough, right now. I say miraculously because while everyone fears everything under the sun, while we fear the next bear market almost daily, while the experts tell us repeatedly just how bad it's going to get, the data shows something else again. Look, the public is already terrified. They just recently set records in the amount of mutual funds they sold out of fear. Sentiment already stinks. The bullish crowd is already as small as it was back at the tech bubble lows in 2003 and the financial crisis lows in 2009. Wall Street analysts are already scared too. They're extremely bearish on stocks. Back to levels seen in 1987 after the market crashed 22%. Fund managers have the highest cash levels, including the 2009 lows and the 2000 tech excuse me, 2003 tech bubble lows. Think about that. They have more cash now waiting for some horrible event than they had at the lows in 2009 and the lows in 2003, both of which were nearly 10,000 Dow points ago. And yet, insiders, the guys who run the companies, are setting records in their buying levels in recent weeks. Now look, that doesn't mean that everything perfectly turns around on a dime. But what does it tell you when people like Warren Buffett 
has spent a record amount of money buying things, $38 billion alone on new investments in just the last few weeks, while the crowd is running for the hills. The question we must ask ourselves is, do we want to listen to the crowd who has, while acting on emotions, created a horrible record of understanding what's next? Or do we want to listen to guys who run companies? Or guys like Warren who, after 50 years of watching everything under the sun unfold, is buying hand over fist? Please, step back. Quell the urge to leap. Stifle the need to end the pain we all feel when red ink flows. Instead, listen. Listen to the crowd and the all-too-available mass of experts. The noise levels are increasing, and they're nearing that ever-noticeable pitch, the sound of certainty, as I like to call it, of assured outcomes of the obvious nature of things, like we've seen so many times before. The sound of what's now. But remember, recognize this instead. Focus upon what's next, because that's where the real wealth will be built as these new secular waves come upon us. Hey, listen, I hope these thoughts have been helpful to you today. Until we see you again in our next episode, feel free to send this around to your friends and ask us any questions you like at info at genesisinvestor.com. And until we meet again, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant. Have a great day.